Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 102 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Verbanis, and as always, I am joined by, some would say, the best gosh darn co-host out there. And that would be Mr. Bob Lucius. Hey, Bob. Okay, listeners, this is what happens normally at the beginning of the show, where I have this long, dramatic pause, and I... Bob waits on the other end to see what my new hello is going to be for this particular episode. Because, you know, I've been kind of changing it up uh, every episode to try to tie it in with the, with the comic or maybe, you know, something to do with the year the comic came out or something like that. And Bob usually just stands there on the other end and just kind of waits. And then I reveal it and, you know, he makes his laugh and, and we go on with the show. Uh, and so probably this one, I'm going to do something to, to tie in with the, the fact that we're, we're dealing with a, uh, an attorney comic. <laughs> oh, too soon? <laughs> Bob, Bob. All right, sorry, you, I was dozing off. You, you broke the fourth. <laughs> you, I, I, was, I was doing the break in the fourth wall and you interrupted me. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. I, I just I dozed off a bit. Normally, I just I hang for the joke and. There's a cadence. I didn't. I didn't expect you to be breaking the fourth wall here. Well, yes, Bob, because I'm tying it in with the comic we're covering today, She-Hulk, which has been known throughout its comic history, before Deadpool, by the way, to break the fourth wall and talk to the reader. And uh, the 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 Disney Plus series that is out now um, is also uh, doing the same thing. So. I was trying to do that with the listeners, Bob, but you, uh, yeah, you interrupted. Case dismissed. (laughs) Oh, nice. Nice. (laughs) I object. (laughs) Uh, Motion sustained, I I guess. Uh, I I don't know. Yeah. No, so anyway, so yeah, episode 102, we're covering She-Hulk. Now, She-Hulk's had a lot of volumes over the years. Um, She, uh, she had... Gosh, I, I, I'm going to get this wrong. I think she came out in like 1980, 81, something like that. And that was her, the Savage She-Hulk, right? And then uh, John Byrne got a hold of her and did a new launch of a new series. I think it was called Sensational She-Hulk. And that was the one where it was a lot more playful, right? And, and she broke the fourth wall and talked to the readers. Uh, a, a lot of spoofing uh some funny characters things like that and then she's had many series since then um the one we're covering today is the the volume from 2014 and it's just plainly called she hulk no savage no sensational or anything like that and we're covering issues eight nine and ten now bah listeners might be wondering wait a minute i thought this was the captain america comic book fans podcast what are we doing here? Breaking new ground, Rick? Well, I don't know. What what are we doing here? Well, we're selling out, Bob. We're we're, <laughs> we're hoping by by putting in a uh She-Hulk in here that we're gonna get some new listeners. Oh. Um no, I gotta tell you, Bob, this was um I read this for the first time maybe a month ago. Mm-hmm. Love this story. Uh this is three issues where you know Jen is she has her own law firm. Uh, her own private practice, and she takes on as her client Steve Rogers. Now, 
not Captain America, uh-uh. but uh-uh. Steve Rogers. So this takes place, like I mentioned, in, in 2014, a few months before this, in volume seven of Captain America's, you know, uh-huh. own series, um, he gets he gets uh, aged, right? Mm-hmm. He loses yeah. the super soldier serum. He becomes a 90-year-old man again. And well, he's always been a nine-year-old man, but you know what I mean. He yeah. he actually looks like a ninety-some-year-old man, and um, and so he is being sued as so he goes to Jennifer Walters, aka She-Hulk, to defend him. And it's a great story. Uh, not only does it have the courtroom drama, and you know, preparing for the case and and fighting, you know, like the the fun law. Uh, books and and uh, TV series and movies that we watch, but we get to see Steve Rogers as a kid right before he gets the Super Soldier Serum. This is just weeks before, and so we get to see an adventure of him during that time. And so it's a, I guess it's a retcon if you you know maybe a little bit, but but it's a it's a as a story as a Steve Rogers fan, I just I loved it and. I really love Steve Rogers now in his 90s and the way he interacts with everyone. It, it's just so charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, and there's not that many, uh, there's not that many stories out there Rick, where they give any time whatsoever to Steve Rogers prior to him, you know, walking down those stairs in the curio shop and, and taking the uh, the serum, so that's special in that regard. Is you know how how rare these types of stories are. But you're right. It's uh, and and I just love to see him looking like old man Steve Rogers because uh, he looks a lot uh, well, not that far off the what I see when I look in the mirror these days. So uh, <laughs> so and I, I enjoy that. I enjoy. I think it was an interesting take. Um, you know, the fact that he had lost the effect of the super soldier serum. I mean, that's been done before, but the fact that he aged so dramatically and, uh, and then still carried on. Um, I, I like that. And so I, I'm really excited to dive into this. Yep. I am too. Um, before we do though, Bob, I want to, um, you know, we haven't read a, a, uh, uh, Apple podcast uh, review, uh, lately and uh I'm, I'm sorry to say bob this is the last one we haven't had any for over a month and so uh this we may not be able to have one for a while so hey, hey folks out there if you haven't done so yet if you haven't given us a five-star review on apple you know itunes please do it does help us get some some extra you know viewings out there i guess you know because of the rating so um but Here's one, and it is from somebody called uh, Dog Dindic. I don't know. It's D-A-W-G-D-I-N-D-K-D. Dinkted? Dog Dinkted? I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> we appreciate you, Dog. Uh, and his is, the title is The Best, but the is in all caps, so it's the best. And his, his uh, review is, I have been listening to this podcast over a year now and have been a Cap fan since I can remember. I drive a lot for work, so I listen to a lot of podcasts, but this one has been my favorite. I love learning and diving deeper into the many different Caps over the years. Rick and Bob deliver perfectly 
They grow on you as each episode goes on, like a fungus. <laughs> All right. No, he didn't say that part. Uh, also, gotta say, awesome chemistry between you guys, which makes it so much more enjoyable listening about Cap and gives something to look forward to while working. Now, first of all, I'm going to pause here. We don't recommend anybody uh, listening to this while you're working. All right. You need to be, you know, we don't want any bosses out there no, getting mad at us. Maybe, no, maybe, sure. maybe that's the person who gave us the one star. Bomb. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're, if you're doing brain surgery, just focus on it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, just hit it on pause and do the brain surgery and then come back to the podcast. Yeah. Um, then he goes on to say, you guys are awesome. And I will always be listening and supporting for as long as you guys do this. Thanks guys. And keep up the great work. Well, thank you, dog. We appreciate that. It's not, and, and I learned something there, Rick. I, I didn't know that if it was all lowercase, it's the, but if, what did you, would you say it was all? T-H-E was all uppercase, yeah. which makes it the. The. Yeah, I, it's news to me. I didn't know that. Right? I mean, that's yeah. how I'm going to do it. I mean, why would he, why would he all do all caps and be like, the best? Yeah. You know, it's the yeah. best. All right. right. Okay. I, that's, I, I didn't know that. That's... Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think I learned something new every time. On this I, I got to tell you about, I mean, that to me is just like, if you were reading um, some sort of, uh, you know, word balloon in a comic book, mm -hmm. and then they did that, mm -hmm. come on, you would read it like that, wouldn't you? You'd read it be like the, I, I don't know. I never really thought about it. You know, that's what I'm saying. Every time I do this show, you give me something new to think about. I'm going to be sitting on the couch after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we'll be able to sleep tonight. I was like one of those memes where like you're laying in bed and you can't stop thinking about something. That's going to be me tonight. The, the, the. And Dog mentioned something about supporting it. So I'm not sure if he is uh, one of our patrons. And if you are, thank you very much. Um, we appreciate that very much. And the, uh, speaking of patrons, um, Brian, if you're listening... Um, you are eligible for a what would cap do challenge coin um, for joining a few months ago uh, as a as a paying patron on a monthly basis and uh, but we just don't have your contact information so send me an email that's cap comic fans at gmail.com so that's cap comic fans at gmail.com and send me your your full name as well as your mailing address and email. And I'll be sure to get this uh, What Would Cap Do Challenge Coin out to you. And for those of you who are wondering, what is this, this challenge coin you speak of? Bob, you want to you give it a... Well, it's a thing of beauty, Rick. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't, most people, maybe, I don't know. I, you know, so a lot of people know that in the military and, and in fire and law enforcement, we have these things called challenge coins. And so challenge coins are usually a small, I don't know, two inch round coin, heavy brass coin that uh, commemorates a, a unit or an individual or an operation and you carry it. And uh, if you're challenged to show yours and you don't have it, then you have to buy the round of drinks. And so many, many moons back, we thought, hey, that would be something that we would like to have to give our patrons to show our appreciation. 
let's do a what would cap do coin. So on one side, it says what would cap do. And there are attributes of Captain America around uh, the outside edge. And on the other side, you, you have Captain America's shield with additional attributes uh, around the, uh, the margins. Sorry, Bob. I, you lost me when you, you said unit. <laughs> Did I say unit? Yes. <laughs> you said unit. Yes. <laughs> uh, if you want to get more information about how you can support the show and how you can get some cool perks, um, go to our website, CaptainAmericaComicBookFans.com. At the very bottom of the website, there's a, a little section that says get cool perks, support the show. And so you can find out more information there and sign up. So thank you uh, for considering that. We really do appreciate it. It's worth pointing out, Rick, that we only had a hundred of these made. Yes. You can't get them anywhere else. I mean, they're they're not available for sale. You can't buy one. Right. Uh, You can't get them anywhere else. You can get other sorts of Captain America challenge coins, but nothing like this one. So this is the only way. What would Cap do? Mm -hmm. It really is a cool coin. It is. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, all right, so let's get to the uh, the story we're covering. So this is, as I mentioned before, She-Hulk Volume 3, Issue 8, 9, and 10. It was only a 12-issue volume, right? It only lasted 12 issues, um, and but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a cool series. Um, it's written by Charles Soule, S-O-U-L-E. And uh, this guy, yeah, he's, he's written a lot. In fact, when he was writing this series, he was also writing for uh, DC doing Swamp Thing, uh, just finishing up of, of, I mean, a very long run of Swamp Thing, a very long run of Red Lanterns. Um, he was also doing, uh, I think he was just kicking off uh, Inhuman series. Uh, he had a long run on that. Uh, he, he, this guy's done a lot of long runs, right? He's done Thunderbolts. Um, he did the death of Wolverine miniseries. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he did the first 20 issues of uncanny inhumans. Um, and he also did daredevil. And so, um, and, and a bunch of star Wars stuff like that. So anyway, he's uh, he's a really accomplished writer. And I gotta tell you, I feel like he did his due diligence when it came to like learning about law, you know, because this story will have a lot in there. So he's the writer and then we have uh, the penciler and inker, uh, Javier Polito. And um, I'm not too familiar with his work. He's done a bunch, you know, here and there, uh, a lot of fill-in issues. Um, but on this series, he did, 
I think the first, yeah, I think he did the first four issues and then he, he skipped two and then he did the rest. So he did 10 of the 12 issues and it's kind of like, I wouldn't say a cartoony style, but it's not a very detailed style mm-hmm. either, but it's fun. And I it think is, it's, yeah. you know, it's a, um, it's a good, you know, it's a good mix. Yeah. It gets the job done, you know? And uh, it carries the writing, and that's that's what we want, right? We want to be able to enjoy the writing without being overly distracted. Yep. And then we have um, Munza Vicente is the colorist, Clayton Cowles the letterer, and the editor is Jeannie Schaefer. Now, this particular issue uh, has a cover date of November 2014. It means it hit the hit the stands in early September. Like I said, this is about three months after Cap went through his transformation, so it's still relatively new. The solicitation for issue eight is uh, Charles Soule and Javier Polito's acclaimed run continues. She-Hulk takes on a new client, Captain America. Meanwhile, Patsy does a little digging on the blue file. Uh, So Patsy, who is Patsy? Well, that would be Patsy Walker. Um, now, Patsy Walker, you may know as Hellcat, right? She was with the Defenders, I think the Avengers for a little bit. She uh, is known um, with um, Power Man and Iron Fist. So she's, she's, she's been around. Now, she's just a, uh, an acrobatic, you know, fighter. You know, she doesn't have really any superpowers that I'm aware of. Um, she also was... Patsy Walker, the model, right? Uh, she she was a, a model early on in her um, her career, and I think wasn't it wasn't it Steve Englehart that, that turned yeah that turned Patsy Walker the model comics and turned her into Hellcat for Defenders. I, I, I am not aware that make that does sound. Uh, there's something ringing around in the back of my head though that that, that sounds about right. Yeah, I I think we brought it up. When mm-hmm. we talk with Steve, uh, so if you haven't listened to the Steve Englehart interview, do yourself a favor, go listen to that. That was uh, episode 52. Uh, great conversation about his Captain America time. But I think we brought up Kat- Patsy Walker at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's she's uh, somebody who works with Jen Walters in her, her particular office. Um, on the cover of this now cover is done by an artist by the name of kevin wada not too familiar with him and we have in the foreground a uh she hulk dressed in her business attire that she would have you know when she's um presenting a case in 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 court and she's holding her briefcase or as bob likes to say attache case um in the background not only is there a flag flying and captain america shield uh, in between that is two characters. There is the aged Steve Rogers, who almost looks like an uh, a Paul New- an aged Paul Newman here. He does. He does. I was just thinking that, Rick. Yeah, he does. Even down to the blue eyes. Yeah, and then and then we have Matt Murdock, aka Daredevil, but he's in his Matt Murdock wearing a suit, kind of straightening his tie, wearing his round sunglasses. So uh, not only do we have Cap in here, we have Matt Murdock. And I don't know if you know this about me, Bob. Daredevil is my number two favorite character. I did know that about you. So uh, that's another reason I really, really, love, really yeah. love this story. 
Yeah. I love, I love this cover, actually. Um, the style of it appeals to me. I don't know if it appeals to you, but uh, this cover and the subsequent covers by Wada or Wada or Wada, I, uh, I, I'm not quite sure um, if this is some sort of wash or if this is a painted cover. I don't, I don't know what, what the technique he was, but, but I, I really like this. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. That's a Wada cover. No extra charge, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we, we opened up the splash page and it's a, it's really not a splash page. It's a title page. What they're doing is typically taking the last panel of the previous issue. And that is where you start off. And that's the image that is being shown here above the, the, the dress title. Uh, it says <clears throat> Jennifer Walters was a shy attorney good at her job and quiet in her life when she found herself gunned down by criminals. A gamma-irradiated blood transfusion from her cousin, Dr. Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Incredible Hulk, didn't just give her a second chance at life. It gave her super strength and bulletproof green skin. Wherever justice is threatened, you'll find the sensational She-Hulk. And so there's an image of an aged Steve Rogers with his khaki pants uh, and a white dress shirt, but he's wearing a, a button-down jacket over top of it, and uh, he has a cane. And it says, Jen's solo law practice has really been ta- taking off lately. She's interrogated Iron Man, arraigned AIM, and dismissed Dr. Doom. But at the end of a harrowing case with Hank Pym, her biggest client yet walked in. Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America. So then we cut to the next page and we see an elderly man, not Steve, lying in a hospital bed. There is a a police officer standing there and uh, there is an attorney and uh, a young man laying, uh, staying, you know, sitting around his, his bedside. And there's a nurse and a doctor talking to each other. You ever see this before? Hmm? Poor old guy. Woke up this morning and insisted we bring him a cop. Wants to confess or something. Really? He was fine last night. I know. I would have given him another few months. Easy. But the guy's 94, and he's obviously been through a lot. I mean, look at him. Anyway, he insisted that he knew he'd be dead in a few hours. Said he had something terrible he needed to get off his chest before it was too late. So we called the cops for him. Who are the other two? His grandson and the family attorney. I guess they wanted to make sure whatever he said was taken down properly. Any idea what it's about? Not really, but Saunders talked to him when he asked for the cop. She said it had something to do with Captain America. So then we cut to the next, uh, is it next page or panel? I don't know. I'm on, I'm on. I don't know. Yeah, it's the next page, but the guy, the guy just died. You notice that? He just, as soon as he confessed, he... He bit it. Yeah. Everybody's everybody's standing around like, oh. So there's Jennifer Waters in her very modest apartment. And it's looking out over, uh, what's that, the Brooklyn Bridge? That does look like the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. And uh, there's uh, Steve walking in, as I described before. Thanks, Cap. Sure thing, Jennifer. Yeah. Not a bad likeness, Patsy. 
and he's walking up and there's Patsy Walker sitting at her desk and she's got an action figure of Captain America right there. Yeah. And don't we all at our desk? <laughs> it's true, right? <laughs> um, what? I, I mean, uh, sir, I mean, it used to be. And he picks it up and he looks at the Captain America uh, action figure. Oh, my God. And then there's a, a monkey that jumps up on his, his shoulder. And Jennifer yells, hey, hey. Oh, he's all right, Jennifer. I love these little guys. Capuchins, amazing creatures. Used to see them all the time on ops down in South America. Friendly muggers. You pick them up in Brazil, miss? And he's talking to uh, another lady who's there. Um, yeah, she's a heavy set Asian lady, right? And she says, Huang, Anji Huang, and no, Hei Hei doesn't come from Brazil. Well, my mistake, ma'am. Still, one heck of a monkey. That he is. Have a seat, Steve. Can I get you some coffee? No, can't really handle it anymore. I'll take some water, though. Er, yes, I mean, were you really not going to ask me why I'm suddenly 90 years old? Come on, Cap. I, I figured I, I'd let you bring it up. I mean, you're one of my oldest friends, and I mean, a, a friend that I have had longer than any other friend. I, I didn't mean oldest. <laughs> have to think I'm probably both, Jennifer. Don't worry about it. I've always been 90. Now I just look it. Mind if we talk in there, just the two of us? And then we cut to a uh, a scene from 1940 in Los Angeles, and it's a warehouse. And can you describe what's going on, Bob? Yeah, it looks like uh, there's a melee going on, right? So it's a warehouse, and there's uh, lots of guys, and they're wearing, you know, what you probably like factory worker attire, right? So they're all dressed the same. A lot of them have submachine guns, look like Tommy guns. And there's one guy in the middle, and he's dressed in this long overcoat with a heavy metal helmet with uh, a spike on the top. It has a very similar look to what you might have thought the Kaisers wore in World War One. Hmm. And he's got some tanks on his back uh, that are connected to some gauntlets on his hand. And he's holding a guy up by his neck. But in the foreground, hidden behind a, a crate, we see uh, what looks to be a young man, uh, blonde, blue-eyed. And he's cradling in his arms somebody who is wounded, uh, another young man. Yes, that's a good description. Um, and the title to this story is? The Good Old Days, Part One. So we cut back to Steve sitting in front of Jennifer. So that's what's happening, as you can see. I need a lawyer. I'm hoping that will be you. I'm happy to pay whatever fee you need. I'm actually pretty well off. I get a piece of all those little dolls and things like Patsy had. You know what? I got to pause here. That just, yeah. that's something like my dad would have said. Dolls. <laughs> no, dad. They're action figures. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I used to get so, like back when I had Star Wars figures, you know, yeah. back in the day. And I was, yeah. you know, yeah. oh, can you move your dolls? <laughs> That's such an old old man's type right. of thing to say, yeah. right? It sure is. 
It's not stark money, but it does add up. Anyway, just tell me how much and, and she puts her hand on his. Cap, this is free. But it does sound serious. There are some logistics to handle on my end before I can really dig in, though. I'll need to start right away. Angie, can you come in here, please? And so uh, Angie comes in and um, she tells her, we're taking Steve's case, Angie. It's a civil suit, wrongful death, probably in Los Angeles Superior Court. I need you to get a copy of everything that's been filed. Complaint, all of it. No problem, Miss Walters. Who's the defendant? No way. Captain America is being sued for a wrongful death? Captain America? I feel the same way, Miss Hong. Fortunately, I found myself one hell of a lawyer. Start thinking about how we might go to trial. Let me know if you think we'd have to bring in some temp staff once you get a look at the papers. Do you think we'll have to go? Actually, no. I think I could put together a motion for dismissal based on the idea that Cap died a few years back. It happened on live TV. Everyone saw it. And that would have been Captain America Volume 5, number 25, Bob, when he got shot, killed. Indeed. The death in this suit happened back in 1940, way before that. You can't be found liable post-mortem. So I think, and then Cap stands up from his chair, no. No? Steve, listen, I, I love you, but I'm the one with the law degree. This could be really bad for you. I, I know you aren't guilty, obviously, but there's a PR side to this you should think about, too. You're Captain America. Your best bet is for it all to just go away quietly. I'm pretty sure I can make that happen. I'll say it again. No, I don't want to win this on a technicality. Period. And Jen's dumbfounded. <sighs> See if you can find some cheap flights to L.A., Angie. You got it, boss. So then later, they're at a bar. Jennifer and her two female compatriots. A toast. To what? To the case they'll put us on the map. Totally. If we win, you mean... Are you trying to tell me you think Steve Rogers, Captain America, did it? Well, no, of course not. But you haven't been working in the legal field as long as Miss Walters and I have. Trials can be funny things. They take unexpected twists and turns. And juries. Don't get me started on juries. The last thing I'm worried about is putting Steve Rogers in front of a jury. You two almost proposed to him the minute he walked into the office. Ninety or not, the dude still got it. Drink up, Angie. You can't skip out on a toast. It's bad luck. And then she's looking at the files that Angie got her, and her eyes grow wide. Whoa, this is really well done. What do you mean? It's just smart. It anticipates a lot of my arguments. The statute of limitations on wrongful death in California, it's two years. So I thought that was an obvious path to take. The plaintiff wanted to sue until now which is like 70 years too late but but the complaint asked for equitable tolling of the statute meaning the family of the guy who died didn't learn about the potential claim until a few weeks ago and that argument is all interwoven into california law about deathbed confessions it's elegant really 
Do you know the firm repping the family? I didn't know the name, and Martindale comes up blank. No, but whoever they are, they're good. Really good. Have you figured out how you're going to actually appear in court for this? Last time I checked, you aren't admitted to practice in California. Oh, right. Thanks for reminding me. That part should be a snap. It's still daytime out west, right? Hope so. He tends to go out most nights. And then we cut to San Francisco, California, and it's the law offices of McDuffie and Murdoch. And who do we have here? We have Matt Murdoch in his standard attorney gear, you know, just dress shirt and tie. And he's sitting at a table and he's going over some, some briefs. Jen, hey, what's up? Hi, Matt. Got five minutes for me? Just. I'm prepping for a big trial. You and me both. Tough one? God, yes. I wish I'd never taken it. I won't take up much of your time then. My thing's in California, but I'm not admitted out there. Would you mind me using your practice as the firm of record so I can argue as an outside attorney for you guys? Should be fine. I'll, I'll just run it for conflicts and then we're good. Who are the parties? Well, my guy's Steve Rogers. Cap. Jealous. And did you know he's turned old? Like as old as he'd been as he'd never been frozen? Anyway, he's the same, just a little craggy. You there, Matt? I'm sorry, Jen. I, I can't help you. But good luck. It sounds like a tough one. Wait, what do you click? Huh. Guess I'll ask someone else. Uh, so then we cut to uh, the sky. And we're, we see uh, the Stark jet. And on that, this really nice jet is the three of the three ladies and Steve Rogers flying out to L.A. And hey, hey. You know, I'm sorry. Every time I hear that, <laughs> I'm thinking of like what's happening. <laughs> Remember that show from the 70s? Yeah, right. right? Yeah. Hey, Raj. Hey, Dwayne. What's happening? <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> There you right? go. Right, right. Yeah. It was also the chicken's name in Moana, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. And do you yeah. know who did the voice for that? Um, no. Who did the voice of the chicken? Alan Tudyk. Did he really? Yes. There and, there, and there's a recording out there where he's he's recording like the voice of the chicken. And right before he actually does the voice, he says something like, I went to Juilliard for this. <laughs> and then he's like, bark, bark. <laughs> uh, so then there's uh, Steve and, he, and they're all sitting in these nice big comfy chairs and this, uh, except for Angie, Angie's sleeping. Right. And Steve says, nice of stock to lend us his plane. Well, milk it. This is one heck of a ride. Everyone's in a rush to do me favors all of a sudden. I think it's because they all think I'm going to kill over dead any minute. You sure you can handle your part once we land? Jennifer says to Patsy. Oh, yeah, I'm good. It won't be easy, Patsy, but it's probably the key to this whole thing. I'm sorry to ask. I feel terrible about it. I'd go myself, but I suspect... 
I'll be needed in the courtroom. Just to be clear, I get to go on a secret mission to save Captain America. Twist my arm. Jeez. Just be careful. I couldn't live with myself if you got hurt. And then she salutes and she says, Aye, aye, Captain. That's really more of a Navy thing. I was an Army man. Uh, right. And so they go ahead and uh, they land. And um, so Jen tells Steve to, to rest up um, because uh, trials are stressful. And then um, as they get there, she says, uh, the good news is that the media hasn't picked up on this yet. But the minute you walk into that courtroom, that's all over. It'll be a circus. We can't do much about that. But we can do is enjoy these last few days of peace. And then they open up the uh, the jet and there's there's the uh, the paparazzi. And she's like, oh, come on. Cap, over here. Captain Rogers, did you really kill that guy? Why did you fly here in Tony Stark's plane? Is he involved? How about a few words for the bugle, Cap? No comment. And then there's a mob around them. And finally, Jennifer says, All right, enough. You guys all know I'm a Hulk, right? And by the way, she's 6'7", so she's kind of towering over everybody. And you know what happens when Hulks get angry, right? They lose control. And then things get smashed. It's not the Hulk's fault. It's just how it is. And you guys are making me mad. And she flexes and she rips her shirt with, with by flexing her muscles and breaks her sunglasses. How does she break her sunglasses by flexing <laughs> her face, Bob? It's not like she got bigger. I mean, maybe she got a little bigger. I don't know. Maybe her, you know, she got a fatter face. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't say that to her. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't yeah, I no. regretted it immediately after saying <laughs> Nice work. Things I do for my clients. Let's go. Um, so then uh, they're in the, the limo, and Patsy's looking outside of the, uh, the sunroof. And she says, you know, hey, hey, I used to come to L.A. all the time in my modeling days. This whole place is made of want. They make it look all shiny, but it's mostly about telling you you're not good enough. On the other hand, it sure is shiny. Beep. But all, all Steve sees as he's driving by is memories from 1940. And he sees himself with a friend, and he looks sad. And Angie says to Jennifer, I hate to bring this up, Miss Walters, but Matt Murdock turned you down, and you still aren't allowed to work in a California courtroom. The trial's in two days. Have you? Well, of course, that's where we're going right now. Matt would have been great, but I think I've got another California lawyer who will let me use his practice. You think? I know, Angie. I'm stressing out enough as it is. I'm sure it'll be fine. Who is it? Have you met him? Well, no. But I hear he's really something. So then we cut to this guy. How would you describe this this lawyer that's coming to greet them? 
He has got an electric blue suit with a purple shirt, Rick, you know, and a nice fuchsia tie with a matching pocket square, gold watch, gold rim sunglasses with uh, with uh, red lenses. And uh, he's got kind of a swarthy complexion. Um, he looks he looks like um, he looks like a Hollywood lawyer, Rick. He's very tan. He's very tan. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely looks like a Hollywood lawyer. Probably does a lot of divorce cases for uh, rich and famous, right? Sure. Yeah, and he's like, hey there. And he gives all, all at the same time. He's shaking Steve's hand. He's making kissy faces at Jennifer, and he's pointing behind him at the monkey. Hey, Cap, big fan of your work. Great, that's great. I'm going to get a few of those. You guys look great. Really great. So great to meet you guys. Um, yeah. Hey, so do I call you Jamie or... Oh, no. Not Jamie. That's Madrock's name. The Big J. I'm not him. I'm one of his dupes. You can call me Matt Rocks, because I do. So here you go. War room, all set up and ready to go. You got your high-speed internet. Big fat pipe on that. You got Republic and LA chapter on speed dial if you get hungry. All comped. You got these three guys. I knocked them out this morning. Now, they're copies of a copy, so they're not the sharpest nails in the drawer, but they make great assistance. Get your lattes and whatnot. Just don't smack them around if they get the order wrong, or we'll have a whole sorcerer's apprentice thing going up on here. I got that reference, Bob. I I didn't. Sorcerer's Apprentice. So that was when... um, when Mickey Mouse was uh-huh. a sorcerer's apprentice and he had right. the broomstick and every time he hit the broomstick, another broomstick was created. Oh, then, got it. All and then right. all of a sudden there was like a million broomsticks. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. So okay. for those who aren't familiar with Jamie Madrox, he's also AKA known as the multiple man. Okay. So the multiple man is a mutant and his power was to create duplicates of himself. And so there was a point, if you were reading X factor, uh, written by Peter David. It was really good stuff. And um, Multiple Man eventually um, ab- reabsorbed all the dupes back into his body because some of them just went off to have their own lives. You know, there was one who became a priest, one who became, you know, a cop. You know, like, like they all just went off. And, and so he had to go and reabsorb these guys' lives. And, and it wasn't a pretty, it was a really dramatic, complicated story. Apparently, he didn't reabsorb this guy. And so Patsy says, I have a question. Shoot. I don't know Jimmy very well, but I heard he reabsorbed all his dupes when he got married to Layla Miller and moved out to his family's farm. No offense, but what are you still doing here? I'm one of the best entertainment lawyers in L.A., kid. I'm rich. Big J wants to be a farmer, but farmers are poor. I send him half of what I make. He lets me stick around. Works for him. Works for me. But more importantly, it works for you, Jolly Green. You want to use my firm to argue Captain America's case? Go for it. I got a nice Q rating boost. Win or lose. Mi casa is su casa is everybody's casa. Good luck, kitties. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got a lunch. And he walks out. And then Patsy leaves for her assignment. 
And we have uh, Jennifer and Angie there working very diligently at the table as the dupes bring all these different piles of papers for them to go through. And it, it goes from day to night and eventually morning. And Angie says, go, Jen, sleep. You're ready. Are you sure? What if I screw it up? It's not just about me. This trial could be the last thing anyone remembers about Cap after he's gone. I could ruin his entire legacy. If people think he killed a guy, do you think that's going to happen? Really? Because the last time I checked, you're Jennifer Walters. And then Jen's lying in bed 1 1 a.m., just like you were tonight when you're thinking about the versus the, and her eyes are just wide open. Bing! She can't sleep. Then 3 a.m., She's up and she's working. 6 a.m., she's putting on her her makeup, and it's go time. So they walk into the Los Angeles County Courthouse. And I love this, Bob. Steve is so reassuring. And he says to Jennifer, whatever happens in here, Jennifer, I know you'll do your best. I'm depending on you. I know you can do it. Thanks, Steve, but I'm not nervous at all. I I slept like a baby last night. Whatever they throw at us, I'll be ready. And then we cut to the last page in this one big splash page. And I think that's common for this volume. And there's Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil, but Matt Murdock. And he looks at uh, Jennifer and says, hey, Jen. And she's like, oof. To be continued. What do you think so far, Bob? You know, I got to say, Rick, you know, um, a lot of people, a lot of people, we've talked about that. A lot of people give the MCU a little guff, right? Because it's not always the same as in the comics, right? Um, But, you know, we've talked to a number of folks along the way, Alana Smith, Tom Brabor, you know, others, And they've said, you know, one of the best things that ever happened for comics is the MCU, because people who have never read about, cared about, thought about superheroes, some superheroes, maybe they knew some, they didn't know others, got interested because of of the MCU and went back and read comics. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but I think I'm not going out on a limb here when I say that neither you or I would be covering this comic right now if She-Hulk was not be not playing on Disney Plus. Oh, absolutely. No, good right? point. Mm-hmm. And I certainly wouldn't have read She Hulk, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I got interested enough because of, of what's going on on Disney Plus to like give it a uh, give it a go because I really enjoyed this story so far. Yeah, me too. It's fun. It is fun. Uh I like the the play back and forth um of you know Jennifer and her team. You know, and quite frankly, I mean, I I adore seeing an older Steve. I mean, I just I love the fact that he's like, no, I I'm I don't want to win this on technicality. You know, okay, all right, we'll make it work then for you, Steve. And he then he's like constantly like reassuring people. I mean, I love I love when he was like, oh yeah, that monkey. You know, did you get it from Brazil? And and she's like, no. And he's like my mistake right i mean yeah. like that's such a gentlemanly yeah. uh nice thing to say like 
you know, and, and also it just shows Steve's character and the fact that, you know, he doesn't have this insecurity. Like other people might have been like, oh, OK, well, uh, I, I thought that because, you know, most of them came from there. And that's my experience. You're like, you know, like, no, he's yeah, just like, right. OK, my mistake. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just love how they're writing, Steve. Yeah, I, that's a great job for sure. All right, so here we are in issue nine, and it's the same exact creative team. The solicitation is Good Old Days Part Two. It's Jennifer Walters versus Matt Murdock in the trial of the century. Someone from Cap's past has come back to haunt them all, and She-Hulk might be his only hope. Guest starring Steve Rogers and Daredevil. And then uh, you want to describe the cover by Kevin Wada? Uh, again, we've got in in the background, right? We've got, of course, the shield, and uh, we have uh, Daredevil, this time in uniform. In the foreground, we've got Cap facing, uh, facing you know, the reader uh, with the shield, although he's still in civilian attire, still old man Cap. And we've got She-Hulk on his right and uh, Hellcat on his left, uh, both in their uh, traditional superhero garb so it's a it's a great stylized cover again i like the um i like the ink i don't know was it a wash i don't know what it is but i love uh, i like the style i'd love to get i'd love to get something like this on my wall it has a little phil noto look it does you're right with that wash colored look Mm -hmm. yeah and i just noticed something bob these three covers to the story are all interconnected like if you put the three issues next to each other the covers all go together because of the way the flag flows and then the background right. yeah, yeah. interesting. and then you know what the other thing that's really cool about this wow i just i'm just picking this up now bob but to the in the background to the left is a continuation of captain america's shield and then we have daredevil in the background and then you have daredevil's radar sense the rings of the radar sense. So it's almost like Captain America's shield, the rings of his shield mm. continue onto Daredevil's radar sense. Right, right. Yeah, I hadn't, cool? I hadn't picked that up either. Yeah. It's a lot of details in here. All right. So we leave off and there's Matt Murdock there, right when she's about to try her case. So now she finds out the attorney she's going up against is Matt Murdock. Now, listen, None of this could possibly happen, right? Like she wouldn't have a trial in in such a short period of time. She wouldn't have not known who a, what attorney that she's going up against. So that's not very realistic, but it does make for a good story. It does make for some good drama. And so we have Matt Murdock addressing the jury. Los Angeles Superior Court. Fogler versus Rogers, day one. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, and thank you so much for your time. Serving as jurors is inconvenient, but it's also crucial. Without you, there is no justice. My name is Matt Murdoch. I'm the attorney for the plaintiff, which means I get to talk to you first before the defense has its shot. To begin, I'd like to tell you about something known as a, quote, dying declaration. You might think of it as a deathbed confession, although that's an oversimplification. For one, the testimony you're about to hear is not a confession. It is an accusation. Ordinarily, the rules of evidence prevent what is known as hearsay. 
when one person tells the court what they heard someone say. But there it is. Look, I was no soldier. I was just looking for a way to, to see it through weather the storm. And I found some guys who I thought could help me out. I had to leave. I had family back home in Brooklyn. My, mother, my brother, Sam, he was the golden boy. He was in medical school, was going to make something of himself. I was just going to get in his way. I knew that. I never believed what my new uh, friends believed. But they were giving me three squares, a, a warm place to sleep. So I skedaddled, found myself somewhere uh, I fit in, at least for a while. But Sam, he, uh, wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. So in this next panel, uh, Rick, you know, we see the workers, right? And they're all gathered around this individual. Now, we can't really see the individual. We only see the silhouette because we're behind him and he's facing the crowd. But it's that guy I mentioned last issue, right? The tall guy dressed in a black trench coat with that weird metal helmet with the spike on it. And then the tanks carrying something, but with the tubes connected to his gauntlet. So we only see him from the, the waist up, but we, and we only see his silhouette, but we know he's talking to the men and they don't look like they're excited about it. And, and he also towers over all of them. Right. right? He's, he's very tall. I was in a warehouse down by the docks at a meeting. We were getting ready to cause some trouble. I ain't proud of it now, but like I said, my choice. Those meetings could get a little intense. I step outside for some air, and out of nowhere, well, there's my little brother. Don't know how the hell he got there, all the way to L.A. from Brooklyn, and getting cross-country in those days wasn't easy, let me tell you. My little bro laid right into me. He was trying to get me to, to come home with him. I guess he heard about what I was into here, and always trying to save me, that kid. Told me our mama missed me. Crud like that. Well, maybe she did, but I was a grown man, you know. I mean, I had to make my own way. Sam wasn't alone either. He brought a friend, skinny little blonde kid, said he was Steve Rogers. Then his buddy steps up, Steve, and tells me he agrees with my brother. I tell him, who the hell are you to tell me one damn thing, you runt? He didn't get phased. Just keeps talking. Real quiet voice, but strong intense anyway right then someone from the meeting pokes his head out wants to know why i'm taking so long sees my brother and that other kid steve and that was that they got hauled in and things got ugly fast these guys they they didn't like outsiders i was telling sam to be quiet to shut up and let me handle it and i could have i know these guys but that Little Steve, he took a look around, figured he knew better. He started to talk again. I tried to get him to shut up, but he would not shut up. These were dangerous characters, not the kind of people you cross. I could see the boss getting angrier and angrier, and Steve wouldn't shut his yappy little mouth. It was like he didn't care. The boss grabbed my brother. Says he's going to kill him if Steve says another word. Now, you were me in that situation? We know the score. We'd stop. Steve Rogers, he didn't stop. He pushed him. He antagonized him. And so, 
the boss killed my little brother dead right there in front of me. Nothing I could do. I played a role, damn it. I know I did. But that kid, Steve, he was part of it. I know Sam would, not, would, would be alive today if not for him. He, he had been a doctor, and he had been able to provide for his family. He had been rich. He was going to be a surgeon. And then, and then, when I start hearing later about Captain America saving the day, and I hear his name, Steve Rogers, subject of some experimental what's that turned all that skinny into muscle, God help me. I kept my mouth shut. I thought what he meant was more important than what he did. Didn't want to tarnish the legend. Kind of funny. I knew how to keep my mouth shut better than he ever did. But I can't keep quiet no longer. Sure, maybe he's a hero now, but he wasn't always. People should know. They need to know. So we cut back to Matt. So that's where this all begins. The last words of a man who wanted the truth to be known. This is a wrongful death lawsuit, which means the family of the deceased, poor young Sam we just heard about, are suing the plaintiff, Mr. Rogers, for monetary damages based on the idea that if he hadn't acted out as he did, Sam would still be alive today. As I continue to pre present my case, you will hear further evidence to prove that the death of Sam Fogler was caused by the wrongful act as well as the neglect of Steve Rogers, and that Sam's family, his extended family, his descendants, suffered monetarily in connection with his death. And Jennifer, who is in her She-Hulk form, turns to Steve, who, who hasn't really budged, right? He's just been stoically looking forward. No expression on his face this yeah. entire time. Right. Stoically, that's exactly the, what I was thinking. That's, that's a perfect description for his demeanor throughout the entire presentation. Oof. They're eating this up. Steve, what he said, the transcript we got didn't have all that detail. How much of that? It's all right, Jen. Let's just see what's next. Sir, you are the chief archivist for the Los Angeles police, correct? That's right. I, I catalog the hard copy files, the stuff we haven't had time or, or money to computerize yet. And the file in your hand? It's a police report filed on November 6, 1940. Can you tell me the subject of that report? It has to do with a brawl in a warehouse down by the docks, which resulted in a homicide. Victim was identified as Sam Fogler. And who identified him? It was, it says it was Steve Rogers, present at the scene. There's more, too. The report says Mr. Rogers was distraught. The officer who took this down said he heard him say, quote, this is all my fault. I could have stopped it. This is all my fault. So then we cut to Jennifer cross-examining. You work with these old records all the time. You're probably the preeminent expert on these files in California, right? Uh, there are a few other guys up north, but basically, yes, that's, that's fair to say. 
Have you ever seen one falsified? Well, well, yes, but it, it's rare. And I, it usually only happens when there's some other agenda. I mean, back then, this case, where why would someone, thank you, officer, no further questions. She So she planted the seed that, yes, these have been falsified in the past. This one potentially could also. Reasonable doubt. Yeah. We cut back to Matt. Professor Flanagan, you hold tenure in the history department at Stanford University. Is that correct? And we have a, I don't know, like a middle-aged lady, right? Caucasian lady sitting there on the stand. Yes. And your specialty. I teach military history. World War II. I've written several books focusing on the Selective Service and Training Act of 1940, which most people just call the draft. Are you familiar with the defendant? Of course. Steve Rogers, or Captain America, is one of the most well-known figures of the entire war. Some would say we he won it for us, although... I appreciate your opinions immensely, Dr. Flanagan, but if you could just stick to answering the questions without elaboration, I think it will help to get the jury home quicker, which I'm sure they'll appreciate. That's a nice suck up there, right? It is. Very, very sly. Yeah. Well played. Was Mr. Rogers classified pursuant to the draft? He was 4F, which means unfit for duty. The reason must have been serious. They took everyone back then. I see. And when was this? Ah, about a week after the events described in Officer McKinley's testimony, November 15th, 1940. And not long after that, what did Mr. Rogers do? He volunteered for a top-secret experimental U.S. Army program led by Dr. Abraham Erskine. We now know it, it was the Super Soldier Program that transformed him into Captain America. How would you characterize the risk of volunteering for such a program? Extreme. Men died in those programs constantly. But then there was a war on. Men were dying everywhere. Did criminals ever volunteer? Certainly. It could be a ticket out. For some men, the the chance of being a super soldier was more attractive than prison. So then we cut to Jennifer's cross-examination. And I like the case that Matt's building here. Professor Flanagan, just one question, and then a possible follow-up. When criminals, the only sort of men who volunteered for the Army's experimental programs? Well, no, of course not. All sorts of men volunteered. Patriots? Certainly. Some men wanted to serve their country no matter the cost. Do you see any men in the courtroom who fit that description? Objection. Defense counsel is asking the witness to speculate. No, Your Honor. Plaintiff's counsel has already established the witness is an expert in World War II, including the activities and history of Captain America. Her view here is not speculative. It is fact. I agree. Objection overruled. Proceed. Mr. Rogers, we all know his story, and she points to Steve. All right, that's enough for today. I think we'll pick up tomorrow with testimony from Mr. Rogers.
So then cut back to the offices of Matt Rocks, Esquire, entertainment lawyer, lawyer extraordinaire, and temporary home of Jennifer Walters. Um, and he's, how would you describe Rocks now? Oh, <laughs> there he is. <laughs> I had to look. He's right there in front of me, Rick. But I, I was confused by his attire because he's wearing a. It looks to be a. It's, it looks to be like a pink polo shirt. I don't see the collar, but mm-hmm. it's a, definitely a pink polo shirt with a a baby blue or a powder blue sweater tied around his neck, and he's got purple sunglasses on, and he's swinging a tennis racket around uh, the office. Doesn't seem to be a very serious lawyer, does he? <laughs> Uh, he's got some spare time, I guess. I don't know. Murdoch he's, just three for... he's just efficient, Rick. Murdoch threw you for a loop today, eh? He's so good, Brocks. Ah. See, this is why I never go to court. All that law. And I love Steve, right? He looks at Jennifer and goes, you did just fine, Jen. And he puts his hand on her forearm to reassure her. Oh, don't worry, Steve. She's all smiles. I shouldn't have said anything. It's all under control. Promise. But there's something I wanted to run by you. And Angie hands her something. And she gives it to Steve. I learned this trick from Stark's Lures a little while back. I'm pretty sure I can get Murdoch kicked off the case. I'd have suggested this earlier, but he must have filed his notice of appearance at the last possible minute to surprise me, throw me off. He's just brilliant. Um, anyway, he's known you for such a long time. I bet I can get this whole thing thrown out, get a mistrial declared. Angie's been digging into his history with you as Daredevil. She jotted down a few ideas. That whole Shadowland thing, for one, I mean, oof. Now, by the way, Bob, in case you're not familiar, Shadowland was uh, a point where Matt became the leader of the Hand like this ninja cult thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to say. So he, he kind of turned to the dark side. Steve hands the paper back to her. No, Jen. I told you. No technicalities. I'm sorry. I know it makes your job more difficult, but we need to win this thing fair and square. But, of course, fair and square. That, that's the American way, right? Well, look, fair and square might take a little more work on my end, but we'll get it done. We've got some drudgery ahead of us tonight. Why don't you head back to the hotel? Can I help you? Nah, we've already gone over your testimony, and I'd like to see you be to be fresh tomorrow. So he walks out, and um, she's all smiles, and then as soon as he leaves, her face turns to a frown. We are screwed. And Angie says, what are you talking about? It's not that bad. You scored some great points with the military expert. No, look, this this isn't an ordinary case, Angie. I'm not about to just whittling down liability for Steve, maybe getting to settlement. Murnock's building a narrative where Steve could be partially responsible for what happened to that kid back in 1940, and that could be enough. This isn't a criminal trial. It's, it's not all or nothing, guilty or not guilty. It's civil. If that jury finds any culpability for Steve, any, then Captain America is tarnished forever. 
he's old now. He, he might die soon. This will be the last thing anyone remembers about him. We have to win fair and square. Any ideas how we might do that? I'm working on it. Let me call Patsy, see if she's had any luck with that mission Cap gave her. So we cut to the next panel, and there's Patsy in her Hellcat uniform, but it's all black. And she's hanging upside down from a cable. And she's in some sort of room where it looks like a, you know, what is that? Like a, where the servers are. Yeah, like a server room. Right, yeah. yeah. Can't really talk right now, Jen. Call soon. Hell cut out. And she smiles. Boom time. And then Jennifer says, I'm going to grab a few hours sleep. I'll see you guys back here in a bit. And of course, she's laying there in bed with her eyes wide open, just like before, the night before. And there's a tap at the window, Bob. So she looks, and there's a man on the in the at the window. But there's, you know, she has her her um, the silhouette of a man, but she has her drapes closed. She walks over, and she's wearing her PJs, and she's like, "The hell, Matt! If you wanted an attorney conference, you could have called." Right. But this isn't a lawyer thing. Here's how you can tell. See? And he points to his uniform. Daredevil. Come on. And he does a backflip off of her balcony. Come on. Come on. Come on. I'm not dressed for this. And she leaps after him. And they're just going back and forth. She's like, Matt, stop. And she finally uh, grabs him. She says, enough. And this reminds me, Bob, we haven't seen it yet, but you're watching She-Hulk. I'm watching She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Coming up soon, there's going to be an appearance of Daredevil. So we, so we hear, yes. So the yeah. rumor mill says. I mean, we're recording this weeks in advance, so mm-hmm. we haven't seen it yet. No. So she's got him by the foot. What is this, Matt? You're telling me you didn't enjoy that? After a day in the courtroom? You probably needed a, a run as much as I did. No, not that. Why are you trying a case against Captain America? You're not even soft peddling it. You're coming at my coming at me guns blazing. Why? And he does a flip away. Ah, that's the other reason I wanted to talk to you. I'm doing this, Jen, because he asked me to. No, he did not. He did. The family's original lawyers got in touch with me to see if I might be willing to do a little consulting based on my relationship with Cap. I told them where they could stick their consulting. But then I went to see Steve. I wanted to warn him about what might be coming. He got really calm, like he was thinking for a minute. And then he said three words. And we cut to that scene. And it's, I guess, Steve's apartment or whatever in his kitchen at a table. On the other side of the table is Matt. And they're both in their civvies, just two guys talking at a table. And Steve says to him, take the case. I don't understand. I'm not sure he wants us to, but he insisted I do my very best. He said if I ever been his friend, if I cared about what he'd done as Captain America, then I wouldn't pull my punches. He insisted I do every last thing I could to win this case. So I am. 
and he points to the warehouse. That's where all it happened, you know, 70 years ago, give or take. Ancient history. Maybe Cap wants the truth out. He won't be around for much longer. Maybe he wants to pay the piper. But he couldn't have. No. Reinvent. No. We reinvent ourselves all the time. It's what we do. We put on the mask or we change our form and we're a different person. I'm not saying he shouldn't be forgiven, but it's why I'm putting him on the stand tomorrow. If he won't let either of us save him, maybe he'll save himself. So we cut to the next day, and there is Steve Rogers in a gray uh, dress suit, his hand on the Bible with his other hand up. And the, uh, what do you call those guys? Uh, Bailiff. Bailiff, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So the bailiff is holding the Bible, and he's saying, so help you, God, uh, sir. I do, son. Relax. You're doing just fine. Uh, right. Thank you. I love that. I know. Yeah. I love that Steve is just so reassuring. Yeah. I also love the fact that the bailiff is not himself a young man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah he's got to be like 60 something, right? <laughs> he's like, his, and Steve's like, call it, calls him son, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, you're doing just fine. I love that. Mm -hmm. So Matt starts to, to drill Steve, right? Now, Mr. Rogers, I was hoping we might begin by going over the testimony provided by Mr. Fogler and his hospital room, as recounted to us by Officer McKinley yesterday. No need, Matt. Let's not waste folks' time. Everything he said was true. And then we cut to Jen and she's like grimacing come on to be concluded funny stuff this is good stuff right this is yeah this is fun stuff I mean I'm a cap guy I only read cap related books but to me I was like uh, this interests me in She-Hulk I know I might go and read the other yeah. nine, nine issues of this right. volume right yeah absolutely all right, Bob, here we are. Issue 10, last part of the story. Solicitation, the good old days, conclusion. She-Hulk and Daredevil battle it out on in the court and on the streets. And it finally comes down to this. Is Captain America guilty? Um, same creative team, except I believe the letterer is different. It's Gus Pillsbury. Hee-hee. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was going to do that, and I said, no, that wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you got it. I don't know how many listeners would have gotten it. I think some did. But as long as you get it, that's all that matters. That's all that matters, right? Sure. <laughs> <clears throat> I tell it. I do that all the time. Like, I got to tell you, one of the reasons, one of the reasons I love my wife so much is um, she gets me, right? She gets me on so many levels, right? Uh-huh. But she get totally gets my humor. And there are so many times where I just make a comment, you know, just like a really offhand throwaway, yeah. throwaway joke comment. Uh -huh. And I do it just for myself. You right. know, you know I, 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 but but I do love when she she gets it. 
Yeah. She'll be like, she'll, she'll laugh or she'll look at me or, yeah. you know, she'll say afterwards, you know, Give you a little validation. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the most time I just do it for me. Right. I get that. All right. So on this cover, it's a continuation of the three trifold cover. And we have She-Hulk in her attorney uh, dress standing over and looking down on Matt Murdock, who's in his attorney attire. And they're staring at each other. And then in the background, we have uh, a Jennifer Walters She-Hulk with a gavel on her hand. And then there's a continuation of of the flag going um, behind them. This has a cover date of January 2015, which means it came out in November of 2014. <clears throat> so just as a, as a recap on this uh, opening title page, we have Steve saying to Matt, everything he said was true. And Jennifer's, come on. So to be clear, you have just verified that the testimony of Mr. Harold Fogler with respect to the events of November 1940 and your involvement in the death of his brother, Samuel Fogler, as previously relayed to the jury, is accurate? That's right. You were admitting your guilt in this matter. I didn't say that. No further questions. The plaintiff rests. So Jennifer gets up and she starts to cross-examine Steve. Captain Rogers, you made a point of correcting plaintiff's counsel when he suggested you admitted your guilt. Yes. Why would you do that? If Harold Fogler's story is true, then that's that, isn't it? No, not at all. Why is that? Because that wasn't the entire story, not even half of it. I see. Would you please tell the jury the parts Mr. Fogler left out? Well, we need to start a little earlier. For one thing, fall of 1940. It was cold, and we cut to a young Steve Rogers talking um, with Sam, not Sam Wilson, the Sam Fogg, right? And they are uh, standing outside, and it's snow, and it's evening, and again, like you said before, it's done in black and white, mm-hmm. and um, because that was the color of the world back then, right? Right. According to our kids. Yeah. And they're standing uh, by the river uh, near the Brooklyn Bridge. And Steve says to Sam, any particular reason we couldn't have this little convo indoors, Sam? I'm sorry, pal, but I didn't want to take even a chance somebody might be listening in. Out here, we could see him coming and going. Well, let's hurry it up. Then what's it all about? We've been pals for a good long time, right, Steve? Bailed each other out of the jam here or there. I, I ain't going to say we're best friends, but we're pals, good ones. And I knew you well enough to know I can trust you with this. When you're in a jam, you go to Steve Rogers. 
I'm doing this with or without you, Steve, but I'd rather do it with you. He wanted me to go out west with him to Los Angeles. He lost track of his brother, Harry, and he wanted to find him. Sam was a good, no, he was a great kid, smart as a whip, studying to be a doctor. He said he figured the country was going to need doctors soon enough. And so it did. Friend looks you right in the eye and says, help me bring my brother home. Back in those days, all kinds of stuff was being shipped east to west, north to south, mostly by rail. The country was getting ready to fight, moving things where they'd need to be when things started to heat up. I wouldn't say it was easy for two young men with about 30 bucks between them to get from Brooklyn to Los Angeles, but we figured it out. We weren't sure how we'd get back or even where we'd stay. But we slapped down our dimes first minute we could and caught a Tyrone power picture. You know, Hollywood. That was the last good thing that happened that trip. Sam knew that last place his brother had been staying. He wasn't there anymore. But his old landlady pointed us to a bar where he liked to hang out. Which led us to a number of other conversations with folks I don't think either one of us would give the time of day under normal circumstances rough customers. It was like we were following Harry as he fell down deeper and deeper, darker and darker. I could see it on Sam's face. He wasn't sure what we find at the end of the road. The guy these people knew didn't sound too much like the Harry Fogler we'd known back in Brooklyn. No one would come right out and tell us where Harry was. But eventually, we put enough hints together that we headed to a certain warehouse. It was worse than we thought. And so they're peering into the window in the middle of the night. Oh, no. We have to do something, Steve. You're right, Sam. We got to go to the cops. This is, this is big. We can't, Steve. Not until we get him out. If he gets picked up for this, his life's over. He'll never get past it. Maybe he shouldn't. Please, Steve, he, he's my brother. Please. All right. We waited and finally got lucky. Although I guess, based on how it went, it wasn't exactly good luck. Sam, what the hell are you doing here? Came to find you, big brother. Everyone's worried about you. Mom cries herself to sleep half the... Look, we can't talk about that. But you got to get out of here. It ain't safe. You or your skinny pal. Steve Rogers. Listen, Harry. Sam's right. We'll go, but you, you, you should come with us. What you're doing in there, it's, it's wrong. But it's not the end of the line, either. Just walk away. You made the decision to come here. It's just as easy to leave. What do you know about it? Why would you do this? It doesn't matter. Get the hell out of here, little brother. I mean it. Before it's too. Hey, Fogler. Damn. Who's your friends? And then we cut to a scene we had seen earlier, which has Steve 
and Sam on their knees with their hands behind their back and the guys behind them with hands on their shoulder and hands on their head, pushing them down. And who are these fine fellows? Found them outside, talking to Fogger. I see. And Herr Fogger? And there he is, Bob. It's the guy you were describing. Right. A very, very tall guy in the black leather coat with the, uh, the helmet with the point at the top. And he's got almost like a gas mask on, like an mm-hmm. old-time gas mask with the goggles and the muzzle. But for the first time, what we're seeing, Bob, not in black and white, what's hanging from yeah. the rafters. Those are some uh, Nazi banners hanging in the background with the, with the swastika. And Herr Fogler, the skinny one I just met, the other ones, he's my little brother. Aha. So we now know they came here looking for you. And so you are the reason this operation is now endangered. Kill all three. Dump the bodies out at sea. Prepare to move to the alternate location. This one is compromised. No. No. Well, there could be a way. Show me how loyal you are to the cause, Herr Fogler. Remove your brother and his weakening friend from the equation, and we will consider it forgotten. I, I can't. Very well. Then the orders stand. And and by the way, he was holding. He was handing him a, a German Luger, but Harry, Harry said no, he can't. And as Steve is being pushed down and his head still facing down, he says to the very large man, who do you think you are? And he looks down at him. I am a member of the master race. As proof, look how easily I turn your citizens to the cause of the Fuhrer. You're an idiot. So you found a few weak lost men looking for any port in a storm and convince them to work for you. Big deal. Any cause can find a few men to support it. There are always men willing to believe whatever you want in exchange for three squares and a roof over their heads, especially these days. You're treating it like you've already won the war. And he gets up off his knees and he starts to stand up. I'll tell you something, pal. You know we'll get into this war or you wouldn't be here. And when we do, you will be facing men like these. You'll be facing our best. And he stands, and I would say face to face, but his hand, his face is right in the smack in the middle of the guy's chest. And then the man holds the Luger in his face. Stop talking or someone will die. Go ahead. Show these men how afraid you are of words. If you're this scared of words... Imagine how scared you'll be when we really come after you, hateful monsters. Fellas, you're back on the wrong horse. These Nazi scum don't have a chance in hell. I should kill you for that. But if I did, it would prevent you the chance of finding some blind, idiot woman to breed with and continuing to infect this country with your weakling genetics. No, if I am going to kill someone, I should kill the strong one. And he points the Luger in Sam's face and he fires. 
So we cut back to the courtroom. And and I, I like the way uh, Soul did the storytelling, right? It, it went back and forth between the the characters themselves talking to each other and from Steve um, also, you know, telling the background of the story. So it was, I thought it was really nice how it, it kind of morphed back and forth. And Jennifer says, terrible. Yes, it was. I'd like to follow up on one point. During the plaintiff's case, they presented police reports from the evening in 1940, and none of them mentioned anything about fifth columnists or Nazi terrorists. Can you explain that? Yes. I see. Go ahead, please. No. And why not, Captain Rogers? It's classified. All right, then. So we cut to uh, the next scene, and there is a, a a little old lady taking the stand. How would you describe her, Bob? Uh, you well, you kind of nailed it. She is definitely a little old lady. She's got the you know the white hair. She's wearing uh, a red. You know that those hats were very popular back in the twenties and thirties. I have pictures of my of my grandmother wearing a hat very similar to that style. And uh, and then she's got, you know, a nice, uh, sensible uh, coat on with uh, with a fur trim around her collar. She looks to be, you know, just a just a regular old lady. Nothing, nothing fancy, nothing special. But uh, you can tell she's been around. <laughs> she's been around. She's been you around. Can tell, you can tell she's been around, Bob. Yeah. Wow, that's them fighting words. That was grand, my grandma. Yeah, I don't think we I don't think we mean the same thing by been around. But I mean, she is she's lived her life. Ah, okay. So help me God. Miss Doyle, you knew Mr. Rogers and the deceased back in Brooklyn, did you not? I did. Knew Steve and little Sammy. God rest his soul. Before we recess for the evening, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I would like you to think about what Steve Rogers became and what he fought for. And he's showing, she's showing pictures of, you know, Captain America versus the Nazis. So then we cut uh, back to Jennifer's office, temporary office, and she's kind of yelling at Steve, who again, very calm, very stoic. All right, Steve, this thing's almost over. I've done just about everything I can do. Can we please revisit that whole classified thing? You told me you had a reason why there's no corroboration for your story in any of the official documents Matt presented. That I should just trust you and everything would fall into place. Well, that is exactly what I did. And hey, question for you. What do I have in, in my hand here? And she puts out her hand, which is empty. Uh, nothing, Jen. What a coincidence. And she looks down at her empty hand. That is also exactly what has fallen into place. Nothing. Do you want to lose this case? Because honestly, that's about the only thing that makes sense to me. Any. Got it. And then there's Hellcat, Patsy Walker, coming in. She's got a file in her hand. She gives it to Jennifer. And Steve looks at Patsy. 
Thank you, Patsy. I owe you one. My pleasure. I mean, any chance to bust out the stealth suit, you know? Actually, this was the best reason I've had to wear it in a long time. I mostly used it to see if guys were sneaking around behind my back. It's good to have a nice memory associated with it for a change. I asked you to break into a highly classified U.S. government records facility for me. That's a nice memory? Yeah, relatively speaking. This stealth suit, and I haven't seen a lot, Cap. Too much. And Jennifer holds the paperwork and puts it in front of Steve's face. It's all here, Steve. After Sam was killed, you want to take a shot at this? <laughs> Sour spritz? Let's go with that. After Sam was killed, Sour Spritz went after Harry, and you slipped away with Sam's body in the confusion. Find the weakling. He should watch the death of this one as well. But just then, from the ceiling coming down on, on ropes are men in suits with Tommy guns firing. You would have died. But FBI agents must have been tracking the Nazis. They busted up the meeting, saved you and Harry Fogler. And then we have Steve sitting by himself on a crate with a towel wrapped around him. It's almost as if, you know, he's like one of those uh, victims that the first responders came to and like wrapped a towel around him or a blanket. Hey, kid. Some of the goons we rounded up told us what happened in there, what you said. This is my fault. I could have stopped it. Did you put Hitler in power over there? You send this scum to America to cause trouble? This wasn't your fault. It's terrible, but it wasn't your fault. And if you said even half the things they said you did, son, we need you in a uniform right away. I'd serve in a heartbeat, sir, but... I'm not tough enough. They'll 4F me for sure. Don't you worry about that. You want it, you go after it. And if they're too short-sighted to see the possibilities, well, there could be another way. My boss, guy named Hoover, knows just about everything worth knowing, from Anchorage to Albaline. Where it is, they're working on something new, and they need heart more than they need muscle. And from what I heard tonight, kid, you've got heart enough to fight 10 years. Don't give up. So we cut back to modern time. They classified the whole thing, swore me to secrecy, locked Harry away with the rest of the guys in that warehouse. No one wanted to let on the Nazis were working on U.S. soil. And when Harry got out of prison after the war, well... We won. No one who had been involved with the fifth column was exactly rushing to talk about it. I don't believe Harry Folger was a bad man. He was just a little lost. A lot of people were back then. No one knew what war would happen with the war. Times were tough. And seeing me go on to become Captain America, while his brother didn't even live to see 25, well, I was easy to blame. But from what you're saying, it sounds like this was why you became Captain America. Part of it, maybe. I was going to enlist anyway, but 
Maybe it did nudge me towards Project Rebirth. It wasn't just one thing. It was a lot of things. Still, it's perfect. It's all the proof we need. It confirms your version of the story. I don't understand why you couldn't just explain all this in court, but because it's classified, Jennifer. And then we have, uh, what, what's the uh, Jamie's? Matt Rocks. Matt Rocks. Yeah. yeah. He's standing there and he points. Not only that, but it's stolen. How do you think you'll introduce that in court? There's no Hellcat exception in FRE that I'm aware of. Well, maybe there should be rocks. I don't mean to get frustrated, Steve, but at this point, I have absolutely decided you were just screwing with me. Sure, there are legal obstacles to using this file, but maybe I could get around them. But you won't let me. Why did you have Patsy get this if we can't use it? Because I didn't get it for the court. I got it for you. Just because you can't show it to the jury doesn't mean you can't use it. Go ahead, Chad. Save the day. I love Steve. I love Steve. <laughs> right? Right. He is just so inspirational. Right? Right. Very well written. You know, he really gets them. Totally. All right. So we cut to the we cut to the court, and there's Matt in his nice, nice um, you know, lawyer suit, and he's addressing the jury. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, first of all, thank you for your time, your willingness to give up weeks from your busy lives to ensure that justice is done today is commendable. This is the first of two closing statements you're about to hear. I represent the plaintiff in this case, as you know, the family of the recently deceased Harold Fogler. Mr. Fogler was dying. He knew he was in his very last moments on earth. And in those moments, he chose to do one thing above all others. He chose to right a wrong. He told the story of a night in 1940 when young Stephen Rogers played a significant role in the tragic death of his younger brother, Samuel. Mr. Rogers did not kill Sam Fogler. However, if the actions of Mr. Rogers contributed to Sam's death, a smart man, a medical student planning to serve his country, and whose income would have supported his family for generations to come, then under the law, you were empowered to right that wrong and see that Sam's descendants are compensated accordingly. We know what Mr. Rogers did immediately after the death of Sam Fokker. He tried to enlist in the Army, a safe haven for many individuals trying to avoid questionable events in their past. And when the Army would not take him, he volunteered for an incredibly dangerous experimental program. Was he desperate to escape the consequences, possibly criminal consequences, of what he did in Los Angeles in 1940? Perhaps. I put these questions to you. It is a heavy charge. I realize that. Stephen Rogers has done a great deal for this country. But know this. Your decision today will not change any of that. He is a truly extraordinary man and will remain one no matter the verdict you render. Nevertheless, I ask you to think about the events of that night in 1940. Think about what happened in that warehouse. A wrongful death verdict requires only 
that Mr. Rogers caused the death of another or contributed to that death by virtue of his wrongful action or neglect. He did not involve the police when he could have. His words antagonized an evil man who retaliated by killing Mr. Fogler. Could Mr. Rogers have anticipated this result? Is he responsible even partially? I say yes, but it's now up to you. Thank you. So now it's Jennifer's time to address the court. And what is she wearing, Bob? She's, she's looking good, right? She's looking good. She's got a black skirt, you know? She's got a red, uh, uh, sort of, I guess it's pink, right? It's a pink, pink... Uh, maybe fuchsia? Uh, maybe fuchsia, yeah. Yeah, fuchsia's good. A fuchsia, uh, you know, jacket with a white lapel and a and a nice black dress shirt under it. She, she's looking professional for somebody who's green and big. Yeah, she's got her nice straight hair. Mm-hmm. Hello. Let's start by saying something we all know. He's Steve Rogers, but he's also Captain America. Steve asked me not to bring up his service record in this closing statement. And certainly, plaintiff's counsel doesn't want you thinking about it. But how can we not? He is Captain America. He has personally saved all of our lives. None of us, none of us would be here today if not for the fact that he has saved the world many times. You heard the same story twice over the course of this trial about the sad death of Sam Fogler. You heard a version from Sam's older brother, Harry, and you heard another from Cap. They don't contradict each other, not really. Cap's just provides some details that Harry's doesn't. Plaintiff's counsel presented evidence to support their version. But all we have to go on for Cap's side of the story is Cap's words, really. Cap asked me not to bring up his time as Captain America because the death of Sam Falger occurred before he became Captain America. But the truth is, he was always Cap. He stands up for what is right. That is what he does now, and that is what he did in 1940. Cap was helping a friend save his brother from evil. When it looked like all hope was lost, he stood up and spat in evil's face, even though he knew it would most likely result in his own death. His only mistake was underestimating the scope of the evil he was up against. And so Sam Fogler died. But that death had nothing to do with Steve Rogers. Sam Fogler was killed by Nazis. That would have happened whether Cap was there or not. Sam would have gone after his brother, come hell or high water. Both stories agree on that. And let's think about what happens next. Again, everyone agrees Cap attempted to fight for his country and went through great personal risk to do it. Now, when he went to enlist, he had just witnessed an act of great evil. Think about the man you know. The man you saw speak here today. Does that kind of man flee evil or does he fight it? Ultimately, there are two versions of this story, and it's up to you to decide which one you believe. I know which one I do. Thank you. Mr. Foreman, have you reached a verdict? So now the writer has decided to 
kind of splice in the the verdict being read and after that kind of going back and forth so afterwards we see steve with jennifer to his right and matt murdoch to his left walking uh in the park on a bright sunny day now that's over steve can you tell us what that was about happy to first though thank you both I needed you in a big way, and you came through. I won't forget it. You needed me to do my damnedest to get a verdict against you in a wrongful death case? I still don't get it. Why? There was more going on than just the case. You think? We cut back to the courtroom. We have, Your Honor. Someone wanted to tarnish my legacy. They knew I'm getting close to the end and ginned up this whole lawsuit situation to do that. You mean like a bad guy? Why didn't you just tell us that? We could have grabbed him for you. Once he went public with this lawsuit, it was too late. Sending some of my friends to beat him up wouldn't have done a thing. Would have made it worse. People would have assumed I was guilty. I needed to win in court. So why did you choose us? And why did you make me the, only, the one trying to prove you were guilty? We find the defendant. I needed you to go all the way, Matt. No holding back. I didn't want to know anyone to say that the lawyer on the other side took it easy. And let's face it. You've always been a little bit dark. If anyone could get their head around the idea that maybe I was guilty, I figured it was you. And you picked Jen to represent you? Well, sure. I didn't want to lose, you know. Wait, so who was the bad guy? I'll show you. You remember the police report Matt found? That should never have been in the records. The government buried this whole thing deep. And the fact that poor Harry decided to talk on his deathbed, that was strange, too. He would have known all that Nazi business would have come out. There are plenty of other bits, too. Every incriminating document in the world basically fell into Matt's lap, and half of them were fake. Who's an old enemy of mine who specializes in that sort of thing? And he pulls something out of his breast pocket, but uh, both Jen and Matt are like, "Uh, I don't know. Oh, Steve sighs. And he pulls it out and he shows it to them. It was Dr. Faustus, you know, the Austrian criminal mastermind, specialist in psychological manipulation and so on. Had access to the Nazi roles from the 40s. Must have tracked Harry down and forced him into making that statement. Oh, sure. Dr. Faustus, of course. And you want to read what the note of Dr. Faustus, and he has a picture of himself, Dr. Faustus, pointing. You know, he must have did a, like a little selfie photo <laughs> of him pointing at Cap. Right, right. You will die soon enough, Captain Rogers, but you will live long enough to see your legacy tarnished forever. 
I have made sure of it. Want to help me go beat him up? So they cut to the next page, and sure enough, there's Cap standing at like an elevator door. Not Cap, sorry, Steve. Just Steve in his civilian clothes with his cane. And Matt's beating up a bunch of henchmen. Jen's beating up a bunch of henchmen. But we see Dr. Foster. Now, Dr. Foster's a big man. Right. I mean, he's, yeah. he's like probably like six, five or something like that. And he weighs a ton. You yeah. know, he's he's a big man, a la a kingpin. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And he sees Steve and he's pointing at him. You think you've won? This is just my opening salvo, Captain. You cannot fight me. After all, you will soon be dead. And Steve walks up to him with his cane. Yeah, it looks like he's tottering up to him with his cane. Yeah. Right. He's a little hunched, right? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, well, wham, not yet. And we see the next panel of Dr. Faustus laying on the ground. Now, I don't know how the hell (laughs) uh, this weak Steve punched him out. Like I've seen him in other cap issues where he uses his cane and and then use like a jujitsu move and he does some yeah. things. I don't know what he did here. Yeah. That's why it's behind the wham panel. Apparently. Yeah. You know what he kind of reminds me of kind of reminds me of, uh, what was it? Uh, Star Wars, uh, attack of the clones where Yoda is like, you know, creeping up on yeah, his, right. with yeah, his cane. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he gets, he goes around, he does his like flying around right. you know, yeah. with his lightsaber. Then he gets back and he's done. He's like, oh, creak, 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 you know, that's uh, probably what happened here. So they're back in Brooklyn and it's Jen, Sanji and uh, Patsy Walker. And they're walking back to her office. No more trips out of New York for a while, eh, ladies? I'm sure we'll have quite a backlog of casework here to address. I want to use a stealth suit again. Find me something stealthy. Nope. Too exciting. Whatever we do next, let's make sure it's good and... Hmm. Someone broke into their office, and she opens up the door. And who is it? It's Titania. And she's there. Hey there, Jen. How about that blue file, eh? So, to to be continued in the story of uh, She-Hulk. Anyway, Bob, there we go. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, man? I I I so much enjoyed this. Yeah, so much to like about this story. I do want to point out, though, Rick, before we get into the story, Sour Spritz did previously appear in a Captain America story. All right, can I guess? Sure. Adventures of Captain America miniseries. You, you nailed it. You nailed yeah, it. He looked familiar. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And he met his demise in that series as well. So it is it is interesting that uh, they had the chance to go up against each other one more time uh, after skinny Steve Rogers, that weakling, had uh, had a chance to, uh, to, to uh, level the field. That's a good call out by you. Um, I think... I think Chris Saul, um, oh, I'm sorry, Charles Saul, I think he did an excellent job of, of pulling this story together. Like I said in the beginning, you had your 
courtroom drama. You had your getting to see Steve Rogers, um, you know, not only as a respectable, stoic, current, you know, as an elderly man, but still. I, I, I don't know. I just I loved it. But you also got to see him, you know, weeks before he, he got the super soldier serum and how he was standing up to the Nazi and he was trying to inspire the men behind him, you know, like, you know, Hey, you don't have to, you know, listen to this guy. And we got to see Matt Murdoch. We got to see Daredevil. And and writing was, it was punchy. It was entertaining. uh, But it was also, as you, as you rightfully pointed out, it was also powerful, right? It was good stuff. And it was, it was spot on. So Charles Sewell, Sewell did a great job. I think not only, you know, with the courtroom stuff. I mean, that's that's technical language, right? I mean, that's a specialized uh, language, but it, you know, it sounded just like an episode of uh, Perry Mason. Or is it Ironside? Yeah. I can't remember which one. Yeah, it is. I, but I watched all those as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it sounded believable. Mm-hmm. I really did. I am so glad we did this story. I'm going to actually go ahead and read the other nine issues of this of this series. I want to see. I want to see the the one with Doctor Doom, because uh, you know she you know she dismissed Doctor Doom right, and she right. arraigned Aim and what else she uh, did something with uh, Tony Stark, right? You know, and, and Hank Pym and Hank Pym, yeah, right, yeah. Talk about some guest stars, right? Yeah, yep. All right. Well, that was fun. I uh, I'm so glad we did that. All right. Uh, next episode, Bob, we are going to cover. We're going to. Uh, continue our little path here outside of the regular Captain America series. We're going to do uh, this one shot special that oh, I know it's, is it's the, it's the asthma monster. No, 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 oh. no. But yeah, like you said before, we have to wait till episode 500 for that. <laughs> you know, I've written that down, right? Like I'm, I'm writing oh, out oh, what, no. what episodes we're doing and I'm putting down 500. All right. That versus asthma monster. All right, great. No, we're going to do, um, there was a back in um, 2007, 2006, 2008, there was um, a series of one shots called Mythos. Mm. And they were written by Paul Jenkins. And the art was painted art by Paolo Rivera. And, uh, you know, they it basically was like the origin stories of these you know famous uh, right. legendary yeah. characters the last one they did this team did jenkins and rivera was mythos captain america and it came out in 2008 it was a beautiful story uh well crafted well written mm-hmm. yeah. um, i know you and i both own some original pieces of art from that book uh, i think it'll be fun to cover that what do you think yeah, I, I I'm super excited about that. Paulo is uh, his his art is fabulous, uh, regardless of what he's working on, and uh, and that has always been one of my favorite tellings of of Cap's origin story. So I'm I'm super looking forward to that. All right, so let's do that uh, issue, episode one hundred and three. We will do Mythos, Captain America. All right, Bob. Well, as always. It's been fun wrapping cap with you, my friend. It has. I can't wait to do this again. All right. Well, he's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Forbonis. And you have been listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. 